This is a more than just podcast production. Hey everybody, I'm Tim Mitra. I'm doing a new series of uh, podcasts with uh, video support. And uh, this first episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Melissa Cash and Ryan Cash, who are the folks behind the Pock Pock Playroom and Snowman uh, apps, such as Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey. Yeah, so I had a great time talking to them and uh, sit back and enjoy. Are you like in your, you're at home, I assume? I'm in my basement, yeah. (laughs) Cool. And you're in Toronto, right? I am, yeah. Wait, which part of the city do you live in? I live in Riverdale. Where are you guys? Oh, cool. I live in the beach, and Ryan lives in, uh, he lives at like Queen and Spadina. We're siblings, by the way, not husband and wife. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, it's good. Oh, that's okay. I didn't know that. We actually get that a lot. (laughs) Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's, uh, so Pock Pock is is literally, for all intents and purposes, a sister company of Snowman. Oh, Um, cool. So it's just, we, well, we make that joke because like we're brother and sister, but, um, okay, cool. and I run things at Pock Pock and Ryan obviously runs Snowman. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's like a running joke in our family. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's a good thing you, you actually will just roll with this. That I, I kind of got a sense that there was some, I was wondering why there was some different difference between Pock Pock and, and Snowman and that kind of stuff, right? So, but that, that it does explain it for me. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we incubated the idea for Pock Pock at Snowman for a couple oh, okay. of years. Okay. And then we decided to spin it off into its own company. So yeah. um, we're actually not even technically sister companies in the traditional sense but um you know we we like to say that because we are siblings but uh, right yeah so we uh we officially launched pock pock in may like both as a studio and then also pock pock playroom which is our first product cool i mean this year is a very different year than other years in that i've been to wwc a number of times and and uh you know i've i've attended the apple design awards and i've seen people go up and you know get presented and they do a whole big spiel and they show the app and they talk about what they tell the audience what they like about it and of course they did that this year by video but uh, i was at 2014 i think and I'll, my f- couple of friends my friends from toronto were there and they were kind of you know skirting around going oh yeah we're just in town for a thing and <laughs> and sure enough i'm sitting there i'm sitting there in the front row and and uh they walk up on stage and i'm like oh my god they won an award right so <laughs> It's it's actually it's very it's you know kudos to you guys for for winning awards they're 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 not they're not given out lightly like Apple really does pay attention a lot a lot of attention to who they select and how they select them right so thank you yeah we're super excited to win for Pock Pock Playroom especially because it was so immediate after launch it was the perfect yeah you know boost in terms of like our team right. and obviously in the press and. We were just so flabbergasted and excited right. and uh, yeah, it was a good day. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. So have you been working from home forever or, or is this a COVID thing for you? Well, it's kind of complicated. I mean, it started out, uh, you know, I worked traditionally, had different jobs like that, but um, uh, around 2005, I kind of, you know, wanted to leave the company I was at. So it was kind of, I feel I was forced into starting my own company. Um, so I, I did a managed services company for a while and did, you know, web development, stuff like that for people. And then eventually, you know, when the iPad came out, one of my customers called me and said, and I've told this story a thousand times, apologies to my listeners, but um, she said, I have to be on the iPad on launch day. And I went, oh, okay, sure. No problem. And then I hung up the phone and I went, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> 
So I uh, put together a studio and uh, at home and, and my idea was to sort of do a, a sort of same sort of thing to build a studio that would build apps. And we did, we did pretty well for a few years. Um, and then, you know, uh, it, what this thing called the apocalypse happened, which, you know, some people would know mm-hmm. what that means. It, it got really hard to make a living as a, as an independent developer. So I went and started working for a living. And so, so long story short, yes, I did work for 10 years from my house. And then I'm now I now I work for a major bank here in Toronto as a as a dev manager and I was a senior developer before that. And um but yeah, since COVID happened, we've been we've been sitting at home, right? So um and thankfully, you know, I already was used to the sort of I, the cadence of, you know, being disciplined about getting up in the morning and, you know, let's <laughs> get nine o'clock in the morning and stuff. So yeah, that's worked out for me. How about you? Have you have you that's good. For you or? Oh boy. So garbage truck backing up outside, of course. That's okay. Um, we live in Toronto. People can get used to that. <laughs> this is life, right? Uh, yeah. Especially working from home. Yeah, we have a studio in the city that we share between like Snowman and Pock Pock. And um, we have been working from home since the start of COVID. So we've right, right. barely been in there. But to be honest, for me, it's been kind of nice because I live in the beach. So I'm really happy, especially in the summer, to be working at home. I can go for like a quick swim at lunch. And sure. <laughs> I'm very spoiled. But I do really miss the in-person work. And I know our team is just itching to go back. But of course, we want to do it as safely as we possibly can. So right, right. we're still in the process of navigating those waters. And we're really optimistic and hopeful we'll be able to go back soon. So it definitely takes a toll on some creative collaboration, especially I think in an industry like ours, where we're used to, for a project like Pock Pock, like sitting on the floor and playing with old toys and getting our hands dirty and doing that over video chat is definitely not the same, but we've we've tried to make the best of it and our team has done a killer job. And I don't think we've had any catastrophic disasters from being at home. I think if anything, we've all learned how to be better communicators and work together in an even stronger way. So Mm. there are, there are lots of silver linings. Of course, we're all like, I can't wait to get out of my house, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, so did you, when you guys were uh, like, did you start Pock Pock at, at, uh, at the snowman office or did you like, were you, so you guys were going in designers and coders and all that kind of stuff together? Yeah. So how it started is because we had, so I was, I'm Ryan's sister. So there's that connection. And then um, two of the artists who used to work at Snowman and now work at Pock Pock, um, Matthias de Mach and Esther Hoybrecht, they're both in Belgium, actually. And they were artists at Snowman and had just given birth to their second son. And they already had a two-year-old. They came in one day, um, they came to Toronto and showed us some early scribbles of an idea that they'd had to make a digital storybook for their kids. You know, as millennial parents, they wanted their kids to have a healthy relationship with their iPad, but not, um, they weren't really able to find anything that they felt really comfortable sharing with their kids because they were looking for something that just didn't exist yet, which was a type of creative open-ended play that empowered kids to think outside the box and think for themselves and, and really like explore the world. And so I had just actually wrapped up several years working at Disney in Germany. I had moved back to Toronto. I was visiting Ryan at the snowman office and one thing kind of led to another. I saw the work Ryan and his co-founder Jordan saw it. And we were all like, Oh my gosh, this, this is, this could be something much bigger than a digital storybook. And we spent about a year just kind of soaking on it. Like uh, Mateus and Esther worked on sketches in their spare time. They made a little prototype for their two-year-old, which was really cute and janky. 
And I went off and, and had another job. And then it was really the thing that I would think about when I used to wake up in the morning and I knew we had to do it. And Ryan and Jordan were really confident in the idea and obviously Mateus and Esther as well. So we decided like, okay, let's, let's stop everything else uh, that like three of us were doing. And we quickly decided to start working on Pock Pock. So we kind of took a little corner of the snowman office and turned it into a Pock Pock corner <laughs> and, and started working. And naturally a bunch of the folks at Snowman were a huge part of it. And for several years, we were just kind of in secret working on this new idea and play testing extensively with kids and families and schools and trying to figure out what this would become. And then it grew into Pock Pock Playroom. So that's how it all started. And now it's just still kind of this like crazy creative roller coaster where we're constantly in the mix, learning from kids every day and just realizing how damn smart they are. <laughs> And, and how interesting it is to design and develop products for this demographic that previously none of us had really worked on in a, in a technical space. Like I worked on it in a physical product space at Disney, but before that, it was very much um, like the snowman genre, which is just premium, beautiful, wonderful games for everybody. So it's been an adventure. <laughs> so so I, I wanted to ask, though, did you did you bootstrap the project or was it like like, you know, from like, I'm, I think, I think my, what I'm looking to do with this podcast is sort of talk more like my other podcast is called more than just code because, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just code, right? It's design, it's storytelling, it's all that kind of stuff. So, and the other side of it is marketing and business. And so how did you like, did you quit your jobs as, you know, or did you turn your, like, you, you obviously had a, a, a gainfully employed before this, right? <laughs> how, did you, how did you manage to get through that couple of years where you're just, you know, just working and testing and playing? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, we're really grateful for being collaborators with Snowman. So yeah. we, we frankly leaned on, on the Snowman team for many of those things, not only, uh, you know, our livelihood, but also the ability to talk to wonderful people in the space who we wouldn't have otherwise met. Right. And so we did bootstrap with the, with the snowman team and uh, it's been kind of an amazing ride. Like we're, we're still very connected and we see ourselves as like one big family and mm -hmm. we work in the same space and we share ideas and play test each other's products and, and really try to spread as much knowledge and creativity as we can. Sure. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Ryan. Finally, hey, sorry about the uh, technical issues. Well, you know, know what? I've been, my, uh... I've been waiting years to talk to you, so this is okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> As I think you know, Tammy Coron, right? And anyway, we okay. we were hosting a show called Roundabout Creative Chaos, and we would often have um, guests on to talk about. We had you know developers and gamers. We had TV personalities and movie stars. And not like, well, yeah, movie stars. We'll leave it at that. And we talk about different things about the whole creative process and that kind of stuff. And so we had a mm -hmm. wish list of people we wanted to put on put on the the podcast. And you were one of my wish list people. Unfortunately, uh -huh. roundabout creative chaos is no longer a thing. Uh, Tammy's taking a break from that. And uh, so I thought, well, let's just so great to mm -hmm. meet you. I did. Mm -hmm. I want to give you a bit of. I want to give you a bit of background too. Like, so, you know, on our show, uh, we talk about, you know, the business of app development and, and, you know, as well as coding and, and design and stuff like that. And, um, one of our, uh, back in, I think it was around 2014, one of our, one of our, we do, we select, uh, a, a framework or an app or something that we were interested in. And one of our, one of my co-hosts picked Alto's adventure. 
as mm. his as his fave and then of course you know we we followed that along and we all fell in love with it immediately and uh, I, ha- I heard a lot of good things from other other pundits in the ios community about how amazing the game was and how nice it was and you know i'm a tiny wings fan too by the way I'm looking awesome. at, your, at your blog um cool, cool. so so i'm familiar with the sort of the the the, the genesis or the start of of the app and um you know so and it was and kudos to you are selling um Melissa, that you know, it's not easy to win an Apple Design Award, um, and I think you guys have done it a couple of times with Snowman, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, we've done two at Snowman and, and one at Hawkbox so far, which right. um, yeah, it's pretty hard to believe. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's a, it's a great accomplishment, and and you know, um, anyway. So we were just talking about Hawkbox and the genesis of of that idea. You know, I guess starting from a couple of sketches from your friends in Europe, right? So. Can we spend a little time talking about Snowman and how you guys yeah, got started? Sure. And sure, just give me your your origin story. Sure. Yeah. So it's uh, it always takes me a while to to tell the story because I like to go way back. But it all kind of started when I uh, decided to drop out of college. I was just taking general arts and science, and I, I didn't. I liked the first semester, but the second semester. Um, it was sort of the exact opposite. I didn't really like any of my teachers and I wasn't really resonating with anything that I was being taught. Um, and I had some personal, personal things going on too in my life. And I just sort of said, you know what, I'm dropping out and I'm going to work full time for a year. And then I'm going to decide what I really want to do and then go back to school. And I think like something I always struggled with was a lot of the stuff I was interested in learning was not the stuff I'd be interested in doing as a career. Like I'm fascinated with space and with science, but I, could never see myself in like working in those industries. Um, so I just, I was just sort of lost. And I, at the time I was working at a, a little toy store called mastermind here in Ontario, um, Great store, which funnel, yeah. funnily enough actually really came in handy later when we started working on pop pop, just like all this, just growing through that, uh, as a young, young adult kind of helped shape who I am, I think, um, which is a funny kind of callback, but I was working there and I was only working part time and it wasn't enough hours. And I, you know, I figured if I'm going to take a year off, I need to get more, more hours and, and earn a little more money. So I just applied to jobs all over the place. Um, and back then it was really looking at our local newspaper called the liberal and flipping through the classifieds in the back. This is in uh, early 2007. And uh, I applied everywhere from like, you know, place big box stores like the gap and Canadian tire um, TD Canada Trust, the bank, uh, restaurants, and all over the place. And I was actually pretty close. I just kind of forgot about this part of the story, but I had an interview at TD and I was offered the job of like being a bank teller, um, which seemed like a bit of a step up for a mastermind in terms of pay and hours and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I got a call one day from a company called Market Circle, who I actually hadn't remembered applying to because I sent my resume out to so many people. And funnily enough, too, I have I still have the original ad on how I got the job. And it was literally the size of like a small coin. Um, And it just said market circle F slash T sales and an email address. And I applied and it turned out that they were uh, a a Mac software developer that makes a product called Daylight for uh, people to help run their small business. So I went in or I had a phone interview and then I ended up landing uh, an in-person interview and I went in and didn't really know like what the company was at the time. Um, but I went in and when I went to the office, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like there are people walking around with Apple laptops. You could just see like the glowing Apple just kind of like pacing around the office. And I was like, whoa, this like this seems cool because I, I was at the time like the kind of person who would spend a lot of their personal time on a computer 
Um, but I never, you know, had done any work on a computer. I was always working like retail and things like that. So, uh, yeah, the, the interview went well and I was offered the job of being a salesperson and I started pretty quickly. Someone was leaving for a maternity leave and they needed to replace her for the time being. So I, I joined the company in May of 2007, uh, as a salesperson. And at the time the company was maybe around 10 or 12 people. I could be getting those numbers wrong, but I think yeah. it was around that. Yeah, just want to mm-hmm. so just as a sort of like you know things things happen serendipitously, serendipitously for mm-hmm. me as well. I mean, like so, I was telling Melissa that that I used to do managed services, and one of the uh, things I did was I helped people find software for their for their daily work. And so, Market Circle and I and Daylight go way back too. I was at one oh, point, awesome. uh, even a Daylight reseller, right? So oh, cool. And I think I won a yeah. copy of Billings Pro and all that kind of stuff. So I, I know the founders pretty well, and, and my wife and I met them at a Macworld event that they hosted one oh, year. Awesome. So yeah, it all it all comes around, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that is really funny. Yeah. Um so yeah, after the first um year or so or I, I mean I, so I guess you know this part of the story, but often I when I tell someone who isn't in the you know in the space I have assume, to add in we don't know. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. So I'll add in like that was the year that Apple announced the iPhone. And so um, the, the app store wasn't around yet, but um, I feel like AJ, CEO of Market Circle and, and some of the other folks had a pretty clear indicator or indication that it was going to happen or there would be a way to make apps. So they sort of started looking into that. And then the app store came out in 2008 and they ended up making daylight for the iPhone, which was a huge undertaking. Um, and then short, like at some point after that, the iPad happened and making products for the iPad happened. And also um, the same with Billings, the, the product that you mentioned. And so the company kind of started growing pretty quickly. We moved to a new office and I think we went from 10 to 30 or so people felt like overnight. Um, I was like a wee kid, so uh, I might have some of my memories <laughs> mixed up, but it, it felt like we went from like 10 to 30 people in a few months kind of thing. And uh, at the time I was in sales and they kind of called me into a room one day and said like, Hey, what do you want to like, where do you see yourself in five years? That kind of thing. And I kind of said, I don't know, like I'm enjoying this. Um, but, uh, at the time they had a, a woman who was doing marketing and she was great. She had a marketing degree from school, but I think she hadn't really grown up on the internet in the same way I had. So, um, looking back now, it's easy to see why they, they offered me the position, but they ended up seeing if I wanted to take over the company's marketing. And I think the reason was like, as a salesperson, most of the sales were inbound. So people coming to our website and calling. And so I would look at our website and be like, Oh my, like, this is, we need to improve this. There's so many things we could do here to make the website better, which will make my job easier as a salesperson. Cause we'll get better people coming in and they'll be more informed and like we can you know have a better slogan on the website and that kind of thing so they offered me that role and so after the first year i took over the company's marketing and then about a year later um we had a pr company we were using but i realized they weren't really doing much so i kind of suggested we get rid of them and i take over pr so i started doing pr i think sometime in my second year there and I did. I ended up doing that for a total of five years. And along the way, I learned so much. Um, I, I, I would never be doing what I'm doing now if it weren't for my time at Market Circle. I, I was so fortunate to work with incredible people. Like so much talent um, comes out of that company. Um, and so I, I kind of had these like unofficial mentors. And the first one uh, was a guy named Adam Baker. Um, but I only worked with him very briefly. And actually, all these people that I'm about to mention weren't actually like assigned to be my mentor and we weren't even supposed to be working together like we weren't in the same department 
we weren't really in meetings, but we just sort of ended up hanging out or becoming friends at work. And it was sort of the thing where I would say like, hey, I'm working on something. Can you take a look? And all three of these people were designers. So the first was Adam Baker, and then he left to go to Google. And then it was Brandon Walken, who uh, he designed Billings 3, which won the Apple Design Award. Then he went to Facebook for many years, and he's at Apple now. Um, but I learned, he was kind of my first real mentor that made like a huge impact on me. And uh, I just learned the importance of design and user experience and thinking about things through those lenses. And I think I was always naturally drawn towards it because I, I was the kind of person who would complain that something was poorly designed. And I didn't really understand it as design, but you know, I would go to like Cineplex to buy a movie ticket and be like, why is this screen so bad? And like, why am I confused? Or what, if I'm using an ATM, why is it not easier? And now that I kind of le- have learned about this stuff, I kind of understand it to be kind of design. And design isn't, I, I think when I was younger, I thought design was how something looks. And now I understand that it's, it's how it works, really. Um, that, that sort of matters most. So Brandon was a huge mentor for me. And then he left to go to Facebook. And then Jason had joined the company around the same time. And Jason became another huge mentor for me as well. Um, and Jason actually now works at Snowman. Um, so that's kind of really cool that we we got to continue working together later on. But anyway, uh, this is a long sort of precursor to the the sort of main event. But yeah, I, w- I was working, um, working on products and working on... I'm uh, sorry, I wasn't really working on the products in Market Circle, but I was uh, involved in like the product marketing, um, even working on retail boxes because those were still a thing at, at that time. Um, and sort of just being there for the birth of the app store uh, from day one. And I even was lucky enough to be able to buy the first iPhone in Canada. I bought a jailbroken one off eBay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and th- that was really cool. Cause like everyone like on the streets was like, what is that thing? I remember being on a bus going to work and pulling out my iPhone. And it was sort of like that thing of like an alien traveling to earth with some kind of crazy futuristic technology, because back then Apple wasn't what it is today. And it's not like everyone knew about the iPhone. So people like hadn't even heard of it. And they were like, whoa, what is that? But as soon as I got the iPhone was actually my very first Apple product itself. I I never owned a Mac before joining the company. Once I started using Macs, I was like, wow, this is so much better than my PC at home. But I had an iMac at work, so I would still use my PC at home. Um, But yeah, the the iPhone was the first Apple product I owned. And then later I got a laptop at work and would take it home and I kind of got rid of my PC. but yeah, so I was around for the birth of the app store and I learned working with these designers, like how important the user experience is to things. And at a certain point, like I've always been kind of entrepreneurial minded um, myself and like my best friend growing up, Jordan had websites together in high school. And we also had lemonade or actually it was Kool-Aid stands when we were kids. And we we're always like talking and scheming up like business ideas. Even when we were little kids, it was always like part of our, our relationship. Um, So at one point, I think him and I were chatting and we're like, we should make an app. Like neither of us are developers um, or like, you know, trained designers or graphic graphic designers. Um, But that wasn't really going to stop us. Um, So we kind of thought about it and we decided to start working on a camera app. I don't know, probably in like 2010, maybe 2011. And uh, I guess this is something I don't usually mention. But yeah, we started working on this camera app because at the time, camera apps seemed to be doing really well in the app store. I'm super into photography as a hobby. So it just sort of felt like a a natural thing to try to do. But uh, so I was working on it in evenings and I was just sort of sketching things out in a sketchbook. 
But all I was really doing was like looking at the default iOS camera app and then looking at like two or three other very popular camera apps and trying to just combine them. I wasn't actually solving anything. I wasn't actually, I didn't actually have a frustration with existing camera apps. I was just trying to make something so that we could make our own app. And so I think after a little bit of time, I kind of just burnt out on it and kind of, I guess, gave up because I was realizing like, I don't actually have anything here. I'm just trying to make something for the sake of making something. So yeah, I kind of abandoned that. And then at the time uh, I was working there, I was also working at a restaurant part-time evenings and weekends for sort of a bit of a social life because all of my friends were away at college and university. And I was here working at a software company, which was great. And I had great friends there, but people were generally a bit older and more settled down. And so I wanted to like meet people my age. So I got a job at a restaurant. And um, around then, I think it was iOS 5 when Apple came out with reminders. uh, And being a developer, we got early access to iOS 5. And I ended up discovering like location-based reminders in Apple's reminders app. And I fell in love with them because prior to that, I would set reminders for things, but they would always go off and I'd be in the wrong place. So it would say like, wash my work uniform for, for the restaurant, but I would still be at the bar with my friends. Or it would say, um, book off vacation time when you get to work. Um, or sorry, at a certain time, but I, I wasn't at work. So once I could use location-based reminders, I was in love. Because I had such a hectic life, it was like the second I walked in the door, hey, do your laundry. The second I walked into work, hey, book off this time um, and all that. So I loved using them. And then one day I remember I was just driving on on Elgin Mills for any Ontario listeners. And uh, I'm driving and somehow it just popped into my head. And I said, wait a minute, like everything I've learned from these designers and like my sort of unofficial mentors is about, you know, simplifying things and, and getting them down to the simplest form. And I realized Apple's reminders app took 11 different steps to create a location-based reminder every single time. So not just the first time, but every single time. This is also, of course, before Siri. And I believe they announced Siri in the fall. So Siri did sort of solve some of that. But I immediately called Jordan and I said, hey, I have our app idea. Because he was still interested in teaming up on an app. Um, It was just a matter of like us having a good idea. So I called him. I said, I got our idea. We met up that night. I explained the idea. And we sat around uh, a sort of living room table. And we started sketching out the app idea that night. And it must have taken us three, four, maybe five months to design the UI on paper. Um, and we design every single screen. So when you, even if you make a very simple app, like I guess more people probably know reminders than checkmark. Um, but if you, even a simple app like reminders or Apple mail, you, you think of the view as having like one or two screens, but there are countless other screens for the settings and all these things. So we, we design every single screen. So was, I don't know, maybe 20 different screens and the entire workflow, like what happens if you tap this button? What happens if you tap that button? And not being a designer, um, either of us made that a little challenging, but we, I had learned enough from my coworkers um, that I could kind of get away with it. And so we designed that app and then we, um, we needed a name for it, which was really hard to come up with for a while. Like at one point we were going to call it local because it was sort of like based on where you are. But we also did time-based reminders as well. And then one day, it, it, I was probably driving and it just hit me, checkmark, and um, really liked that name. So we went with that. And Jordan was the one who came up with the name for Snowman. Um, so we wanted something Canadian-sounding, but not too Canadian. We wanted something that was one word, no one could misspell, and that something that could be represented by a shape. Uh, so very much inspired by Apple in that way. 
And yeah, that became like sort of the birth of Snowman. And at the time I was still working at Market Circle for a little bit. Um, but I, I kind of realized uh, I would need to quit my job so I could really focus on this. So I, I left Market Circle in May of 2012, thinking we were going to launch Checkmark like a few weeks or a month later, but it, it ended up still taking quite a while. And so it wasn't until July 2012 that we launched it, but I think we started working on it about a year prior to that. So probably around July 2011 was when we first um, hit the paper with, with the pen. Yeah. And, and then Checkmark came out and that was, that was our first app. That's, so that's, how, that's the sort of snapshot story on how we got started. And so did, did Checkmark, I mean, again, taking the risk to, to sort of quit your job and all that kind of stuff. I mean, did that, did that pay off or was that something? Yeah. That, you must've had a few months where you were like, how do I got to put food on my table? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the tricky part was leaving my job and thinking Checkmark was going to come out sooner than it did. So there was a little period there where I was uh, enjoying my credit card. And uh, I think also, uh, I for too, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I forgot to mention, but we uh, we also teamed up with a developer from Switzerland named Jonathan Moraira, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and a designer from uh, Brazil named Marcelo Marfil, uh, who currently works at Sketch. And um, they, they are both super talented people. And uh, Jonathan's also a bit of a designer or maybe maybe a full-time designer now. Um, so really talented people who also we learned a lot from. Um, but that also meant that we had to pay them. So Jordan and I were kind of 50-50 splitting that. And um, Jordan had been doing other things. So um, he was still kind of earning money. And I uh, kind of just had to take all the money I was earning and put it into checkmark. Um, yeah, and I quit my job, and honestly, we had no plans beyond Checkmark to to really make a company or a business. The idea was like, we're making this app; people are going to love it. Hopefully, we're going to sell a million copies or whatever. And then and, uh, we were young, and I like I had no plans. It was just hopefully this is going to make a lot of money, and then I'm going to go to Thailand for a month, and then whatever, I'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, if that didn't happen. Um, we were lucky that we, you know, we had, I had a lot of relationships with the press from before, uh, at market circle. So we got decent coverage. We got a small, small feature in the app store in Canada. Um, and we were able to turn a profit on what it cost us to make. So, um, that was, that was better than, you know, losing all of our money. Uh, at the same time, the profit we made was nothing super significant. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't the Thailand money I had thought I was gonna, <laughs> you know, sort of see. Um, yeah, and then uh, yeah, and we kept going from there. Cool. Yeah, I, I had a I had a few apps that that I did that got featured on Apple Canada. They're they're pretty good at supporting local talent, for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So and and, and the Tiny Wings kind of that that was what got you guys thinking about uh, Alto's adventure and yeah and. So yeah, what happened, I'll try to make this a little quicker, but we were about <laughs> to start working. Yeah, we're about to start working on our, Melissa's definitely heard this so many times. She's, she's barely hanging in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we were about to start working on our second product, which was going to be this privacy storage box called Lockbox that actually Marcelo had come up for with the design for kind of actually heavily inspired by Windows 7, like the kind of flat UI. This is before when Apple was, um, you know, that old design pre iOS six, I believe it was, or maybe it was iOS seven. Skeuomorphic, yeah, 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 iOS six, yeah, yeah. And so um, we were about to start working on it, and then Marcelo said, "Hey, wait a minute, this reminds me of this toy from the '80s." 
sent a picture and it was that toy Simon, which was that colorful square, the four different colors and sounds. And we all kind of went, oh yeah, it does look like that. And then we were kind of like, wait a minute, why don't we make that instead of this utility app? Because we already tried doing that and this seems more fun. And also this seems like the kind of like game that people like who have no idea about making games can make because it's really just UI and sound effects. And um, like, we know how that toy works. So we're like, you know, let's do a a digital take on a classic toy from the 80s and see how we can twist it in in new ways that you couldn't do with a physical device, which again, funnily enough, now that kind of that description kind of um, fits with PocPoc in some ways. So yeah, we kind of said, hey, let's make this app instead. So that became Circles. And that was our first game that we ever made. And while we were working on Circles, uh, Jordan and I said, okay, like, we don't know anything about video games. If we're going to be making one, like, we should immerse ourselves and learn. And Jordan and I grew up playing video games together. It was a huge part of our childhood, playing like the Tony Hawk Pro Skater series, playing Halo, and then playing Counter-Strike into high school. But both of us had quit video games because they were like a time waster and we wanted to, you know, make something of ourselves. So we gave up video games. And so it had been seven or eight years since either of us had played a video game, really. So we decided to dive in. We played a few things and Jordan turned me on to Tiny Wings. And that was the first time I really realized that games could be beautiful and calming and sort of simply games could be art. Um, before that, I just saw them as time wasters and generally like annoying cartoony graphics and songs that get stuck in your head, but not in a good way. Um, and then I played Tiny Wings and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is beautiful. This is gorgeous. I could leave. And I, in fact, I have left my phone open with just the music playing in the background right, while yeah. I work or, or read or something. Mm-hmm. So that was my first experience with, with games as art. And then, but I didn't love the gameplay of Tiny Wings. Jordan really did, but I found it to be too particular. Like you had to be too um yeah too particular with your movements and i could tell that i could get into it but i didn't have the patience to want to get better at the game really and then a couple weeks later i got really sick with the flu or something and i was in bed for about a week and jordan said hey check out this other game and it was ski safari and i started playing and i was like immediately this game is way more fun than tiny wings but it's not it's missing all the art aspects of tiny wings like i found the art to be like a bit childish and and the music to be a little like grating um but like hats off to ski safari too because it's a great game um i just it was just more of um it's more along the angry bird style than uh than the tiny wing style and so um yeah i I love that game i had way more fun playing ski safari than tiny wings and I was trying to compete with Jordan. I was like, hey, what's your high score? I bet I could beat you. Uh, and that was kind of the first like mobile game that I kind of really got hooked on. But I kind of couldn't help but think like a few things. Like what if we, and it, it ended up being a combination of four things. It was this gameplay idea from Ski Safari, um, but kind of felt like the physics were a little cartoony as well. Um, and then Jordan and I grew up skateboarding and snowboarding together. And that was like a huge part of our childhood. So I couldn't help but see the game through that lens and feel like things were missing. And also it's sort of like a cliche thing, but skateboarders and snowboarders are always like against the skiers. Like it's, right. there's always like a bit of a rivalry there. So right. I couldn't help. Former but, skier here. <laughs> uh, uh-oh. I, I kind of couldn't help but think like, this is skiing. And like, why am I not snowboarding? Like I want to be snowboarding. Um, but it was also just like the physics and the terrain and different ideas for jumps and other mechanics that I felt like Jordan and I felt were missing. 
Um, and then we had been inspired by Tiny Wings, this beautiful art and the beautiful music. And then I had happened to have met an artist named Harry Nesbitt in the UK, probably a year and a half before that, maybe two years before that. And we kept in touch. And for whatever reason, like when I thought of this game, I thought of Harry immediately and his art style. So I kind of said like, if we can take some elements from Ski Safari, from Tiny Wings, from Harry, uh, sorry, from our childhood skateboarding and snowboarding and combine that with Harry's art style, um, we might have something really special here. So Jordan and I kind of sat down, we started sketching out all of our ideas again, how this game can be different. And then once we had enough kind of jot down on paper, this was in December, 2012, we reached out to Harry, who I hadn't spoken to in a little while and said, hey, we're working on a snowboarding game, would you be interested in doing the art? Um, and he was interested and said, like, if I can have like creative control to kind of experiment, um, that would be great. And we were like, sure, you're, you're so talented. Let's see where it goes. And at the time, too, we had found another developer to do the, the programming, which didn't end up working out. And Harry ended up taking over the development as well um, later on. And so we honestly had no idea what we were doing. We'd never made a real video game before. Like we had made circles, but it, again, it was just like UI and sound effects. So we just set off to work on it. We assumed it was going to take six months. It took two and a half years. Um, so much was on the line. And actually, before Alto came out, we also made a game called Super Squares. We made Checkmark 2, which was a follow-up to the first one that you know adopted iOS 7's design language. We made an app called Shifts for people who work shift work. Um, and that was also an interesting lesson that we learned. But yeah, that, that's what kind of like led us to get into making games. And then finally, we launched Alta's Adventure in February 2015. And it did really well. And then um, from there, it was kind of like, okay, what are we going to do next? Uh, we had some updates to do to Alto. We wanted to bring it to Android eventually, just because there was so much demand for it. And because the game was built in Unity, Unity it wasn't too much trouble to do that. Um, yeah, and then we kind of ended up accidentally getting into a bit of a publishing business where we we don't consider ourselves a publisher uh, and it all started very organically with a friend who was making a game that he couldn't get anyone else to kind of believe in and to support his vision for and i kind of and we had gotten along really well and kind of said i was like hey well we're not a publisher but maybe we can help you make your game and that began sort of a, a series of those um but yeah we kind of uh we focus more on collaborating with people when we can rather than just like, oh, someone made a game and it's done and they just need a distributor. So um, yeah, anyway, that that's so that was in 2015 that Alto came out. And since then, we've been making games and, and kind of collaborating with other people and, you know, spawning up new projects, which which is what Pock Pock uh, was. And, and that sort of turned into its own company. Yeah. And I, I think like overall, like, People often look at Snowman. We're obviously much more known for like Alto and our games yeah. than we are for Checkmark. But people will say like, oh, you're a video game studio. And I always say no, because at our heart, we're really just a group of people who like creating things. And if we're interested in making something and we feel like we can do it uh, and actually contribute something valuable, then we'll make it. And we've also right. learned a lot of things along the way too. Like don't just make something because you can and because there's a hole in the market that often doesn't work out. And that's what happened with shifts, for example. Um, so yeah, we, we, yeah, we just sort of like, we're just sort of following our noses, I guess. Well, I, I do have to ask though, what, yeah. what is the deal with the llama? <laughs> so that was, <laughs> that was Harry's idea. And it's funny because I don't remember, it was very early on, but he kind of, I don't know if he had 
put just the llamas in the game in the background first, or if he had created the character Felipe, who's one of the, the llamas that you're the llama that you can snowboard with. Um, but at first, uh, I kind of saw it and I was kind of like a llama. Like I, I hadn't envisioned that because as a snowboarder, I, I've never seen any llamas on the hill, but, um, it was definitely really cute, but I was kind of like wondering if, if, if it fit and I, maybe Jordan had the same reaction, but you know, we, we looked at it for a couple of days and kind of were like, yeah, like this is really cool. And if Harry's like on board with it and, and Harry loves this idea, then we want him to continue exploring it. And obviously it became like such a huge iconic part of the game. And I think that's something like Harry really brought to the Alto series is the IP side of it. Like the, the world and the story and the characters and the environment. Um, like we had, a, I think we had envisioned his art style and snowboarding. Um, but just, I didn't really ever picture any character, any like likable characters. I just sort of pictured you're a person and you're on a snowboard and it's, it's all about the beautiful environment. But Harry um, kind of worked his magic there and, and created this lovely cast of characters, one of them being Felipe Villama. And uh, yeah, now I couldn't ever imagine it any other way. And um, while we don't really like tell a story about Alto too publicly and in the game, um, I think there is like a really neat backstory. Um, it's sort of subtle enough that people can imprint their own kind of impressions and, and thoughts on it. But yeah, it's it's cool. I'm, I'm staring off at my little, uh, got one of these needle felt llamas that actually began as fan art. And then we right. uh, commissioned the artist to make a limited run for, for some merch. But yeah, I, I couldn't imagine it any other way now. But it's it's funny how... It, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, we have to have llamas in this game. It was something Harry totally kind of created on his own. Yeah, it's kind of like an Easter egg in a sense that that way, too. And you mentioned earlier that you and I, I know what you mean about the Angry Birds or sorry, the Angry Birds, Tiny Wings um, music, uh, because mm -hmm. you're right, it is relaxing. And I, but I noticed that you also released the soundtrack for Alto as well. Yeah. So yeah. So in the original game as well, we only had one song. We had the main theme song, but after hearing a lot of feedback from people about how soothing and relaxing the game was, we decided to make Zen mode, which is the mode of Alto where you can't die. Like there, there's no sort of consequences or goals. It's just sort of a, a stripped down, simplified version of the game where you can just relax and unwind. And then we had a new composer create a song for that. And then it felt uh, appropriate. So many people had asked for us to release the music. And I think like, like I had described earlier, keeping my phone open to listen to tiny wings that works. But like, if you're, if you're just wanting to listen to music, there's, there's probably a better way in 2021 or whatever year it came out. So, um, yeah, we decided to get the soundtrack on like Apple music and on Spotify, but even long before that people had, I guess, ripped the music from the game and put it on YouTube. And it was something that never bothered us. Um, you know, like we didn't want to go take those like file complaints and take them right, down because right. people are enjoying the music that's that's fine and even since then we've had people do fan art covers of our music so people have played it on piano which is just so kind of surreal to see and, and beautiful but yeah we we decided soundtracks made sense and in the second game Alpha's odyssey we we had both modes from the beginning so we had like the core song and the zen mode song um yeah and and in the latest version Alpha's odyssey the lost city um uh Todd Baker re sort of jigged some of the music and worked his magic. So it's, it's kind of uh, remastered and uh, really interesting. So is he the author of the music or? Yeah. So uh, the first song we ever had was by a man named Brian Crawford, 
Um, and then the person who did our Zen mode music is Torin Borodale, and he's also the composer for Where Cards Fall. Mm-hmm. That's how we met him through our friend Sam at the game band. And then for Alto's Odyssey, we worked with Todd Baker for uh, the muse, the core music and sound effects. But then we brought Torin back to do the Zen mode music. Sure, cool. So why don't we switch gears and talk a bit more about Pock Pock and how the how you guys got mm-hmm. helping Melissa on that too? Yeah, so. Um, I don't know how much Melissa may have mentioned already, but Pock Pock started off as an idea from uh, a husband and wife on our team, uh, Matthias and Esther, uh, who are both based in Belgium. And they brought uh, an idea for sort of like a digital interactive storybook that they wanted to make for their kids because they couldn't find anything in the app store that they felt good about giving to their kids. And they brought the idea to first to me back in December 2017, I think. Yeah, December 2017. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is totally beautiful. Um, And again, kind of like Snowman doesn't, we don't fit into like, first we made productivity apps, then we make games. So like we had nothing to do with kids stuff at the time, but I was kind of like, this looks amazing. I don't know how this fits into what we're doing. And I don't know how this, you know, could go, but like, just keep me in the loop and let me know if you need anything from me. If you need some money for sound effects or for i don't know anything like let us know like maybe we can we'll help you and whatever just just keep in the loop and then the more we kind of thought about it the more we realized that this could be much bigger than just one interactive kids book but this could actually be a suite of activities and toys and things for kids to do and i think for a long time this small idea ballooned into a bit of a bigger product idea but then the more we thought about it and of course also once melissa got on board and we started building a team, the more we realized that this is a company with a mission and with a goal and with some core values that could also do many different things, maybe sort of similar to the way Snowman does, but probably a little bit more focused in in, in one general area, which is to kind of help raise the next generation of creative thinkers and inspire uh, creative play, imagination, curiosity, open-ended play. And so, um, yeah, it was sort of like an idea that sort of first was started by two of our, our team members and then later, you know, workshopped and talked about and discussed. And Melissa had just moved back from Germany and had been working at Disney as like the perfect person to sort of spearhead this kind of thing. And um, I, I don't know if Melissa mentioned, but we're brother and sister as well. And we decided to never work together. Um, <laughs> but here we are. Wise decision. And, uh, wise. Yeah. Very wise. We've done it our uh, whole we, lives though. Yeah, and we, we worked at Mastermind together, and she worked at the same restaurant I worked at, but a different location. Um, the restaurant? But, uh, I, I worked there first, just for the Yeah, record. it was Turtle Jack's. She worked there first, and she, let the record show, she wouldn't get me a job, but I got her a job at Mastermind <laughs> and, and also at Snowman. Um, but uh, yeah, we, did, we, we, knew, we knew that we would, it would go so, so well if we worked together. But my biggest fear was, and like the moment that I remember so clearly was, Melissa had been living in Cape Town for a few months in 2017. I went to visit her and her and I went on a road trip in Namibia for about a week. And I remember it being such a nice break from work because we didn't work together. And we, I, I'm sure I talked about work a bit, but like in general, we weren't discussing work the whole trip. We were just having fun. And so when I thought about us ever working together after that, I was like, I don't want to lose that friendship because that's already happened with um, my friends. So Jordan and I, the co-founders, grew up together and business was always sort of part of our like friendship, but 
our other friend and roommate at the time, Andrew Schimmel, um, ended up joining our company and had the same problem where like the three of us previously were like best friends, always hung out together, but we never talked about work because only Jordan and I worked together and Andrew didn't. And like today he's a senior producer at the company, super invaluable to the team. But the the one downside is if the three of us are on vacation, we inevitably start talking about work. And so, right. um, that's that luckily like that's the worst it's gone because people always say never work with your friends and your family um and honestly we've had the exact opposite experience it's been such a pleasure and it's it's been great too because we can take personal trips and also squeeze in work and stuff like that but yeah the goal was not to work together but it, it just made way too much sense with melissa's background and experience and her kind of passion for the idea and when she first got, maybe it's better for her to tell the story, but she wanted to work somewhere and like do something, do some good for the world. And I feel like this is really an important job, especially with the fact that kids are growing up on technology nowadays. And like we, we were the sort of last generation or so to grow up before computers and the internet, really. Um, like when I was a kid, I just, I biked around the neighborhood. I didn't have a phone. I didn't really have a computer to go back to. Uh, until I was a bit older. And I've always been worried. I don't have kids, but I've always been worried that like, they're not going to have that sense of adventure and curiosity where you, you go through the forest and you make things up and you, you know, you go on an adventure. And so we, we really think we have a big responsibility with Pock Pock too. You know, like we want people to play Pock Pock, of course, and interact with the, you know, the products that we make, but we also want those products to inspire people to go outside and, and get dirty and roll around in the mud and, go look for ladybugs in real life. And so, um, yeah, if, if we can do that, then we'll, we'll have done a, a good job, but yeah, that's, that's sort of how Pock Pock ended up starting within the company. And of course, like there, there are, it's so hard to even explain snowman sometimes because we all wear so many different hats and people get involved in different projects and we collaborate with other studios around the world. But, um, yeah, I think that's kind of a good snapshot. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's an interesting app because I mean, you know, I have a granddaughter who's six and I've had my grandson's here helping us with landscaping the last couple of weeks. He's eighteen. And, you know, so we've had three kids that have grown up with square square time as my friend calls it, right? <laughs> and and she you know, she limits the square time that her, her kids can have. And and I was talking with my co-host on More Than Just Code recently, and he was talking about, oh, arcade is great. You can get arcade and you can, you know, and I pointed out to him there are no kid games on arcade or no decent kid games on arcade. And, and um, you know, iPads and iPhones are, they're, they're glorified babysitters after a while, right? You know, same as mm -hmm. putting a kid in front of a, in front of a Netflix uh, cartoon, you know, and, or sitting them in front of YouTube and then get barraged with commercials. So, I mean, I, you know, Thank you for giving me a copy of Pock Pock. I, I did play around with it for you know a little bit, and it and it's 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 interesting. There's no menu. There's no you know mm -hmm. reading involved. And I remember when my daughter was you know probably about uh, five or six, she wasn't even reading yet, and yet she could use my Mac, you know, because she could go and and I would get up on Saturday morning, and there would be pages coming out of the stall writer jammed with stuff <laughs> that she was printing from Kid Picks. I don't know if you remember Kid Picks. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so tell me a little bit about like, you know, what your idea, how, how Park, Park sort of has, has taken on that sort of new paradigm of, and, and thinking how kids think, I guess, right? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question and a great challenge. I think for us, we always wanted to build something that met kids at their level and respected them for, for who they were and, and the age that they were at. And so 
something we always loved growing up was Lego. Ryan and I played it a lot and we loved the fact that you could do anything with it. So we always wanted Pock Pock to be open-ended. And we knew that this was something really important to Esther and Mateus as well. And so once we defined this boundary of no boundaries, we knew like the sky was really the limit. And we didn't want kids to have to be busied and distracted by text or talking or menus or anything like that. And there were so many other alternatives out there where kids would be bombarded with almost like a narrator that said like, great job, like you matched, you know, red and yellow and made orange. And while that is beneficial in, in, in certain ways for kids, we really wanted to just strip all of that down and show kids that they shouldn't be afraid to experiment and think outside the box and fail. Because what is failure at, at a toddler's age anyway? I mean, they have so little autonomy to make real decisions in their day-to-day life. And play is really the only place where anything goes. And we wanted to bring that freedom of a real playroom into a digital world where kids could completely feel empowered and brave and creative without worrying about like, am I doing this right? Is the iPad going to crash? And you know, what happens if I click on this? We wanted it to just be very much like a safe, creative environment for them. And so it was really easy. Honestly, we were just like, okay, well, there'll, there'll be no language. There'll be no text. There'll be no talking. There'll be no menu. And uh, yeah, it'll just be toys. And so at that point, we realized, okay, so now what are the toys? <laughs> and naturally, the digital storybook that Mateus and Esther had originally dreamt up was one that we all love, you know, like that busy book idea when you open a page to, you know, like a two spread book and you see like so many things. And we, we wanted to bring that sense of exploration to the digital space. And that's how we came up with our busy book toy, which is essentially a toy of tons of different icons um, that kids can tap and they'll animate very gently and make a small sound. And when we, that was how we got started. And they had been working on that already for a couple months before we even officially got started on Pock Pock. And what we realized really early was like, we wanted the sounds to be super gentle and be very handmade. And if people always ask me like, how is Pock Pock handcrafted? Like, what is this? Like some marketing term? I'm like, no, honestly, it's, literally handmade like our sound designer matt miller here in toronto is can be found anywhere around the city in his house and you know who knows where literally just recording things like apples and chopsticks and pine cones and i've seen him record a blade of grass and I'm like, <laughs> you know it's it's so beautiful and that kind of um handcrafted feel is really important to us and it's why pop pop playroom took so many years to make and people sometimes ask if this is like a covid business and and it's truly not you know we started many years ago and it's taken so long because not only are we recording all of the sounds, but we're also hand drawing all the animation, which is like a flipbook style of animation that really no one is doing anymore because it's extremely painstaking, but it gives it that like storybook kind of feel and it's slower paced. And one thing that we learned really early on is like toddlers absorb everything very differently than us adults. And so we wanted it to feel at their level again. And that's really important during cognitive development and for sensory stimulation. So we wanted to make sure that we weren't overstimulating kids who may have sensory processing challenges or sensitivities. And so pretty early on, we started working with different educational advisors to come into the room and be part of play sessions and feedback and testing to share their thoughts. And we're really lucky to have some really cool 
advisors on the team who we can call out to whenever we need to. And we sort of fundamentally decided that because the world is going to be so open-ended and there'll be no right or wrong and obviously no rules and, and no winning or losing that we wanted to show somewhat of like the real world. And it might sound a bit ironic because it's a, an app and not like a real world toy. We wanted to show kids like this is life. And there's so much beauty in the everyday. There's so much wonder in like mailing your first letter as a child and putting the stamp on and helping write the address and then going to the mailbox. And that is so satisfying and rewarding for a young, a young person. So we wanted to bring those everyday tasks into Pock Pock in toys like town and house. And then we also wanted to show and highlight all of the beautiful diversity that we have around the world. And while Pock Pock is definitely developed with some like Western aesthetic, because that's where our team is, we really are trying our best to highlight, you know, people of all walks of life and abilities and family constructs and, and just making sure that it's like a, it's an accessible, beautiful, safe toy that we hope, <laughs> you know, will will encourage kids to continue to be themselves and think outside of the box and put the iPad down and go do something else. I mean, actually, we were at a preschool on Friday with the team doing some outdoor play testing for the first time since COVID started. And we used to do this often, but um, we went back. It was so great to be around the kids again, because not everybody on our team has kids. So for those who don't, this is like super exciting. And we saw so many beautiful things of like kids sharing and playing at the same time on one device. We saw something really awesome, which we love to see, which is just a child play with Pop Pop and then put the iPad down and go do something else. And to us, that's a mark of success. The fact that they're comfortable stepping away from it without fighting or, you know, really having that sense of addiction, because it's something we try to really carefully design into our toys to make sure that kids don't feel like, oh, just one more try, just one more thing, you know, they can actually just put it down, just like they would stop working on a puzzle, maybe and go have dinner and come back to it later. So that's a very long winded, detailed answer to your question. But it really does, I think, highlight kind of our ethos at Pock Pock and why we're sort of obsessed with <laughs> empowering kids to just do their own thing, because frankly, they know best. And we try to listen to them and have them involved as much as we can. And um, that's why we're, we're really constantly asking for feedback from families and we use our social media to do that as much as possible and really find out like, okay, what do you, what are your kids asking for? What do they want? How can we make this better? And, you know, everyone's different and they're going to grow and we want them to grow with Pock Pock. Cool. Well, congratulations again on the Apple design award. I mean, Apple, like I've worked with Apple for many years and, and I can tell you that they're, they're very particular about who they'll put up on the pedestal and hand them a little cube with an Apple logo on it. Did you actually get a physical <laughs> award yet or have you? We did actually. The, when you say little cube, I mean, yeah. this, I've it, never it actually seen one in person. But so yeah. heavy actually. So um, it, it's at Math and Esther's house in Belgium and rightfully so as our like creative directors and creators of the original idea. And when it arrived, they did an unboxing and the we want, we're like, Oh, it'd be so cute to have the kids in the video. And, you know, it'll just be so fun. And the kids would love to be a part of it. Cause honestly, like their two boys have designed, I would say like a good quarter of Puck Puck. And oh, they've yeah. like literally sat in on design meetings on their laps and been like, why isn't this like that? And it's, it's really great. So we wanted them to be there, but then Esther was like, oh my gosh, this thing is so heavy. They can't even move it. And it's actually so sharp. Like the edges are so pointy. So she had to kind of like 
very craft, like very strategically her and her husband, Matt, uh, Mateus had to like figure out how to film this in a way where like the kids couldn't get too close to the cube right, because yeah, yeah. if they, if they God forbid drop it, I mean, yeah, it's, it's extremely heavy and sharp, but um, it's in a safe place in their office. And I know that they look at it often. They're very proud. And, and so are we. Cool. Yeah, I did a game called Geese Squad once, and and I had my my friend's kids record the sounds of the geese. Mm-hmm. One of them said, "Hey, I'm in a game." Like you know, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. James, their oldest, who's now just turned five. Um, he's the little boy at the beginning who says "fuck fuck." You know, when oh, the really? app opens. Cool. Yeah. Because because they the way that he said it, and so when we started "fuck fuck," he was two, and now he's five. So. He's literally like the CEO of Fuck Fuck. I don't know what nice. I'm even doing, but nice. he he like he said it so many times over the years and his voice, it's just it couldn't be cuter. And we all knew like we had to have his voice in the app somewhere. And Matt and his wife actually record all of the like fake voices in Pock Pock. It's not a real language, of course, but uh, you know, it's very tough to record kids for that kind of thing. But we we're like, okay, James will say Pock Pock at the beginning and even now, like friends of mine will be like, how's and they, they do the impression uh, of James because it's just, it just like sticks with you. I don't know. I think it's really sweet. Nice. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So to wrap up the show, we have a tradition where we, we ask some questions and normally I do it with one, one person, one-on-one, but it'd be interesting to see what you both say. And, and some of these Ryan's kind of already answered, but so if you're, if you're okay with that, I'd like to ask some questions. Yeah. They're based on the sort of, uh, uh, they're sort of icebreaker questions, but they're, these ones are based on the work of Marcel Proust, if you're not sure if you're familiar with him. But, uh, and you guys can answer both or either one, that's fine. Um, so first question is, what is your motto? Hmm. That's, <laughs> that's a good one. Personally or for like the company? Whatever you want to do. Um, uh, that's, a, that's a tricky one. Um, okay, I'll go while you're thinking because I have one. But it doesn't really pertain to business. I think, in fact, in business, I'm the opposite. But in my personal world, and I, my husband would like roll his eyes if he heard me say it again. But it's it's always leave when the party's hot. So if you're <laughs> at an event and you're having like, the best time, like it's time to go, basically. Yeah, and I I feel it, there are so many moments in life where just before that peak starts to decline is when it's like appropriate to slide out and pursue something new and pull yourself outside of your comfort zone again and find something new to explore, whether that's like an event or a hobby or whatever. But in work, I'm completely the opposite. I'm like, like grinding until the very end, like the highs, the lows. It's a, it's a different game, but Ryan, what do you think? Yeah. So I, I know, I know what one of mine is. I I think I have a few of these and I, I forgot that I actually started writing down like important quotes that resonate with me, uh, this year. Um, I had shoulder surgery, so I had a ton of time on my hands in bed doing nothing. And I I decided, for whatever reason, to just start writing down a few meaningful lines here and there. Um, Some of them are like ideas that I have, and I write down the quotes from myself, but often it's from someone else on a podcast or something like that. But um, I think what I would go with to answer this question is what's been on my personal blog, like ryancash.net, for 15 years now. Uh, And it's actually a quote from the movie Blow, which is... um, (laughs) I don't know, maybe a bit weird, but the quote goes, life passes most people by while they're making grand plans for it. Right. And I think it's really poignant. It's, it's, and I, I'm guilty of it myself is like, oh, I can't wait in next year. I'm going to go do this. Or in five years, I'm going to have this or do that or meet this person or whatever. And I think, um, it can, life can pass you by if you don't spend 
time in the moment. And I'm super, super guilty of it myself, which is probably why it's up there on my blog. And I think when I first put it on my blog um, in, I don't know, 2008 or nine, um, it was more, it was more as a constant reminder um, on more of a business side of things, because I knew I wanted to do my own thing and to stop writing down ideas and telling people my ideas and saying, Oh, I'm, I have this business idea and just do it and, and not, not look back. And, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to learn that like when it comes to financial risk, um, especially when you're, when you're really young and you're in your twenties, um, you can always recover. Like all that really matters is your, is your health at that point. So, you know, if you lose $20,000 from something that you try, like, it sucks. Don't get me wrong, but you can learn a lot from it and, and you'll recover. You can figure out a way around it. And I think um, something Jordan taught me uh, back when I was working at Mastermind, we carried around a little notepad in our apron for product notes and stuff. But I would always write down ideas on it for new idea- new businesses and new products and whatever. This is way before the iPhone. And uh, I would always tell Jordan them and he would say, stop telling me your stupid ideas and pick one and... <laughs> He said, pick one and do it. It's probably not going to work. And then you can try again. And that's what he had done. Like he had um, had a bunch of different websites and stuff when we were in high school. Um, and I learned that, oh, here's another one from, La- and then I'm going to let you get to your next question. But my other, it, it, it's not I have the idea. I'll warn you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. It's, it's not the idea, it's the execution. And I learned that from, uh, from experience. That's and my advice to Jordan. people who want to build apps is like whenever they come to you with an app idea, I'm like, you know, yeah. the app idea is great. It's how are you going to build it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Cool. All right. So who are your heroes in real life? Okay. Melissa, do you want to go first? <laughs> or, or do you want? Um, you go first. Okay. So I'm going to just pick one person and it's very cliche. It's probably extra cliche for this this show probably and for everything we've been talking about, but I'm going to pick Steve jobs. And I think I've read, I've read all the books about him, or I guess like the, the two or three major ones, uh, like the Walter Isaacson one and becoming Steve jobs, I guess it's the two. Um, and it's, it's yeah, everything he did with Apple is incredible. But for me, like what always sticks out as kind of the most sage advice I've ever gotten is from his, uh, Stanford commencement speech that he did. And I, I just think like, He's such a model for someone who like lived life to the fullest. Although I do think when I say that, I mean, in like a bit more of like a work perspective. And I think when he was nearing the end of his life, he sort of said he wished he had spent more time with his family. So I need to, I need to always personally stay reminded of that. Cause I, I've definitely had more of a work balance than a work life balance the last few years. Um, but he's just so inspiring and, and I don't know, it's, it's cliche, but I'm going to go with him. Cool. <laughs> Uh, I have a few, but the one who's been on my mind in the last couple of years, especially while we're making Pac-Pac, is um, Sarah Blakely. She's the founder of Spanx. <laughs> I've never even owned Spanx. <laughs> like, I didn't know who she was until I started really, truly putting on some kind of entrepreneurial hat. And she's just built an amazing empire with her company, but she's done it in such a beautiful way that is empowering to women and empowering to just kind of anyone who wants to just bootstrap and work really hard. And I think one of the things I love about her is that she is always on the front lines, like literally in, in the stores, pulling people over being like, what are you, what are you wearing? You know, how can I help you? And she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. And I have to say, it's something that has given me 
over the years, just a lot of courage to go out and, and just like literally wear your heart on your sleeve and talk to people and, and embarrass yourself if you need to, just to get where you want to go in life. Because I learned years ago that no one's just going to hand you anything. You have to go get it. And I think also maybe, maybe this is a female thing, but it could just be a human thing that, you know, we all tend to have our insecurities and also just be afraid, like what makes me qualified to do something. And it's something I struggled with very early in my career, but she showed me that it doesn't matter. Like you just have to try and try really hard and don't be shy. And like, even during COVID, when we ran out of play testers in schools in person, we have like a few hundred families that we work with regularly, but we were finding we were lacking diversity in terms of race. And we really wanted to get more feedback from certain minorities. And so I literally like went out on my, with my iPad onto the streets and started asking families for feedback just right there. <laughs> and like when I, when I told the team after that I did that, you're like, how did you just, you just like went up to strangers. And, and she was the person I was thinking of when I was doing that and was thinking like, you just have to go for it. Cause um, if you want something, yeah, you have to make it happen. And and be kind while you do it too. She's been able to, you know, raise a beautiful family and be a nice person and is really well, well respected among her peers. And I think that you can be nice and still be successful. So I really like her. Cool. All right. So what is your most treasured possession? I have tons, but um, when I moved from Germany to Canada, I realized pretty quickly, like what is important. <laughs> it's really not much. Uh, I would say I have this, um, have a ring for my grandmother that really means a lot to me. She had uh, like, <laughs> this is classic her, Ryan, you know, like she had a little Ziploc baggie full of diamonds that she gave. She gave me when she was basically on her deathbed and said, do something with these. Uh, you know, they were stones from my engagement ring and my mother's engagement ring. And she, and then she passed away and we took all of those diamonds and they were all like weird wonky shapes and didn't really go together and made something really cool out of them. And even though all my friends were like, are you engaged? Like, what is this thing? Uh, I was like, no, I, you know, I'm going to like be in my early twenties and wear this like ridiculous diamond ring. Cause it's, it was like her, it was just so her. And it's kind of like the one thing that I really hold close to my heart. Cause we were really close and she, she was like the fiercest kindest person that i knew so it's important to me I'll, I'll give you two really quick answers so one is this kind of very not sentimental like melissa just described and it's my iphone but it's not this <laughs> iphone it's not this iphone in particular it's it's the iphone itself like it really right. changed my life yeah, i would too. never be doing what i'm doing with my career and my just my entire life without it um and i i think it's transformed the world um i'm also really into photography and it lets me capture the moment especially with the 12 pro like better like I, I have an slr which i love to bring on big trips but the iphone is the thing i always have on me no matter what and so really just for me it's 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 changed my life and like when i watched the steve jobs commencement speech that's that's kind of why i picked him as well as um if it weren't for this i have no idea what i would be doing and then the other thing i would say that's really sentimental or more on the sentimental side is all of the rocks that I've collected on various trips and travels I've been on. I have one sitting on my desk from Chile, but I, I like to bring back like really interesting and cool rocks from trips that I go on because I feel like it's much better than like a kitschy souvenir. And it kind of reminds me of like, I stood on that piece of land and for me, like adventure and travel um, and having new experiences, that's what it is, is like having new experiences is probably one of the most important things that I value. 
And this kind of reminds me of that. So that's, that's my Are answer. Are you sure you're not supposed to take those, right? <laughs> uh, I'm just I, I was going to say, yeah, exactly. Yeah. After Fine. this podcast, you will be arrested. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So which word or phrases do you most overuse? I know Ryan's. We, we should do each other's. Do you know mine, Ryan? I don't know yours. Ryan's is what I mean by that. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. And what I mean by uh, that is... By the way, we can cut anything out of this show, Brian. <laughs> sure. So you know. No, no, no. This I, cannot be cut. <laughs> keep it in. Keep it in. Uh, uh, what's yours? Um, there's a phrase that you use that, like, I think you picked up because you were in Germany and you were speaking English like Germans speak English. But I'm, now I'm trying to uh, remember what that word is, or it's like a couple words. It's um, it's not basically. Uh, it's it's slipping my mind. Maybe it will come to me. Other than that. I got nothing. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm sure that I say like much. I do too, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So final question. Where would you most like to live? Mm, That's a good one. Um, I I ask this people all the time. I actually, I do a three part to this, which is maybe an interesting, it's like, where would you like to go next on a vacation? Where would you like to live for like three to six months for like a sabbatical? And where would you consider living? so I will give you that answer for the sabbatical. Um, it's like three to six months in Italy. Where I want to go next is probably back to Iceland for an adventure. And where I could see myself living permanently, it's, it's, uh, other than Toronto, would either be LA or Munich. Um, just to be close to a lot of the things I value, like mountains and hiking and adventure and nature and like more activities than we have here, like more outdoor kind of activities uh than we have here and you know for munich the the ease of getting to other countries so quickly with such different cultures um that's my also answer. you have all my old friends there to I also steal all your if you want. that's where i, used I already to live. i already stole them yeah cool. uh for me i would say i don't know my husband and i talk this daily because he's german and we're always like looking for the next place to live because we've lived in four countries together in 10 years but i would say like gun to my head tomorrow if i had to move i would probably go to vancouver island just because i would be between Mm. oceans and mountains and i could still be close enough to family and the team and all of that but i I mean honestly like i could i'd be happy to move anywhere anytime like we're very much yeah that's my least friction answer too of a place that like i could move next week and not have to deal with any like oh new language or new country and and I don't, it would just be easy. And I, it's really nice there. Yeah. I used to live in, in BC as well. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So, well, thanks for being on the show. And just before we go, can you tell our listeners and viewers where they can find you and what you're working on next? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I can't really talk too much about um, upcoming stuff, but we just launched Alta's Odyssey, The Lost City on Apple Arcade. And we also just released our biggest update yet to Skate City, also on Apple Arcade. Um, we, we launched a, a new city, which is Tokyo in time for the Olympics. Um, and you can check out all of our, our products and games at builtbysnowman.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Ryan A. Cash. Uh, so Ryan A. Cash. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Cool. And for me with PocPoc, we actually have a big update coming out tomorrow, which is uh, going to be a big expansion to one of our existing toys. And then next month, we have a brand new toy coming out, which is my favorite one so far. Um, and all of that fun stuff can be found at playpocpoc.com. 
And then I'm just Melissa Cash underscore for Twitter. So it's at Melissa Cash underscore. Because naturally, if your last name is Cash, all the good names are taken. <laughs> I know. We really have to hunt down those uh, those clean accounts. <laughs> clean names. <laughs> Actually, I do have a follow-up question I forgot to ask you during the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, so, you know, as developers, iOS developers, you know, a lot of us are fascinated by the whole concept of Apple Arcade, but we have no idea how does one get an an app on Apple Arcade. Yeah. So um, nowadays, it the answer is a bit easier to for me to say, which is there's a there's a web page somewhere. I, I don't know what the URL is, but somewhere on the Apple site, um, or if you if you probably Google like. Apple Arcade submit a game or something like that. Apple has a page that lets you contact them and, and submit uh, a game or just, you know, start that process and get in touch. Um, but I would say like, uh, if I could give advice, like just, you know, make sure you have a really solid pitch put together. Um, just know that you have to be on all of Apple's platforms, iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, and Mac. And if you, if you understand, like if for any existing familiar developers, um, they probably know, what Apple looks for in a lot of ways, but for anyone who doesn't um, go, go check out a whole bunch of Apple arcade games, see what they're into and, and just sort of understand that Apple cares or uh, try to understand about what Apple cares about to uh, give it your best shot. So is there a difference in the way that the, the game is created? Like, like you did mention it has to support all, all four platforms or five. Um, there's just, there's some small like backend things that you just have to do that are like slightly different, just like technical things. But generally it's the same process as making a regular game for the app store. The thing with the regular app store is you have to adhere to the app store rules. Um, but other than that, like you can make whatever you want. You can make a short game, a long game, a game with like whatever you want in it. And also um, I think there's a bit of a difference with like, um, like I don't think you can have any like guns or weapons in an Apple arcade game, for example, but um, yeah, so it's a bit friendly, maybe more family friendly is definitely the way to go. Um, but uh, for Apple Arcade, you have some additional like stuff that you have to go through as well. Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. It's been great having you on our premiere episode. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank and you. Uh, yeah, thanks, it's Jeff. good to meet you as well. You too. We'll see you guys. Yeah, we'll see, see you, you around Toronto. Yeah, 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 yeah we'll, sure. go, we'll actually go and have a physical beer at some place, right? For sure. Yeah, nice. we'll have to have you by our office in 10 years when it opens. Um, <laughs> cool. All yeah. right. Thanks, guys. Cool. All right. Take yeah, care. Take care, Tim. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC, and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.